you recording? Yeah, I am. I mean, we can. I mean, I can. Cut. I thought we were running tests. No, we already were already all set up. But we okay. can we can cut in wherever. I mean, sometimes it's nice to do overlap with the music and everything. But right. Anyways, hi, welcome to Sync Ratios, episode eleven. Uh, I I'm my name is Ben Collins. My name is Luke Piotrowski. And uh, we got a big uh, big one to talk about today. Within the still darkness, aka the day Tokyo Three stood still. With a script by Yoji Enokido and Hideaki Anno, and director Tetsuya Watanabe, and I love this episode. Well, what can you do? You know anything about uh, Watanabe? Is this? I mean, I, 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 they, I don't. Not offhand. Yeah, I just this is an, this is a well directed episode. I, I specifically noticed. Uh, I mean, it's it's funny to talk about camera and lens choices when you're talking about an animated mm-hmm. show but i do think that like well there's storyboard artists and i mean I, they're listed in each episode too and i should well those people need their due but i'm sure the storyboarding for animation is oh, absolutely, a yeah. huge part of it yeah. no i think in, in in american animation sometimes the story artists end up getting uh like writing, writing credit, credit and stuff yeah. like that because it is a big part of it but i it just specifically noticed with this like whoever you know is responsible for that or, or should get credit probably you know across the board credit to everybody but it just this is there's interesting visual choices there's interesting editing choices mm-hmm. throughout um there's you know several there's a lot of really good compositions uh it, it uh, there's a lot of character stuff that happens there's a lot of plot stuff that happens there's a lot different of tonalities excellent different. comedy yeah yeah and it just and it's and it cuts around to so many different places there's you know uh stuff you know characters and sort of things we haven't seen in quite a while that recur in this there's new p- places we've never been to before that mm-hmm. it- well we, we see a lot of like i just you know looking through the a little guidebook for this episode just seeing the shot of makoto uh just out in the city like <laughs> picking up misato's laundry for mm-hmm. her and just oh he's in like normal clothes and in front of the city and like that just really struck me it's like oh yeah like we don't we don't often see a lot of that like you know city life especially for characters from nerd well, that's, like, yeah and it, it opens uh with with uh is it aoba aoba yeah shigeru aoba and, like in ritsuko and what's her name maya maya yeah out, like out getting you know At the doing, running errands like basically and it's this, aoba is getting ucc coffee yes, talked about the last just episode ended to talking about that yeah just bought some and it's although, although it doesn't look like it's the same he's got the skinny can it's the skinny can which uh, it could just be the way they animated it, but it it doesn't. It's not the same as the milk coffee that that is the traditional UCC. But there's so many, you know. You can find UCC uh, at certain stores yes. here in the in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah, I mean not at all the varieties. Although if you go to Little Tokyo, if you're in Los Angeles, and uh, the Murakai Market in Little Tokyo has a lot of that stuff. But yeah, so it's like there's a couple different. What's interesting about this episode to me, like right off, is that it it it's playing to a variety of almost traditional television episode it genre It feels things. the most like an American TV yes. show in the in the sense that like you know and and I'm going to and I'm going to go back to my Star Trek references that we've done before where like like there's definitely you know there's the the you know, Star Trek episodes where it's sort of like everyone's going to go on vacation like they're going to they got to you know mm-hmm. they got to they're going to go to this thing and they're not doing it's not business as usual today guys and then something happens when it's not you know there's like that kind of thing which is what this sort of starts off as because they're they're out doing errands they bump into Fuchsky on the train <laughs> Fuchsky's riding the train you know and they and all the, don't know how to interact Maya with him and uh, Shigeru are like freaked out like oh hello sir yeah and it's and like, so like good it's morning the, the fun like you know sort of you know work life balance sort of stuff and then you immediately get this 
uh, very 2001, take a sip of beer if you uh, are playing along at home, 2001 cut to the emergency well, flashing it's a, But it's logo. the first of like a dozen hilarious cuts in this episode because it ends with, like right before that, Fitsky's, there's talking about, oh, we're going to do another test on Unit Zero. Yeah. And Fitsky's like, well, hope we get some good news. Smash, Smash cut, cut to, to emergency. <laughs> and that's very much like the, 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 I can't remember if it's emergency or warning or whatever, but the 2001 uh, yeah, edit that we talked about that. Yeah, a number of times warning before. And so so that's, that kind of kicks off what the tone of this episode is going to be. Is that like, oh, you know, this, this, everyone's day off. It should be easy. They're just running some tests on Unit Zero and then, oh shit, something bad's happening. And then kind of from there, uh, well, and then on the train, actually, no, sorry, we're getting ahead of ourselves. On the train, when they're when before that happens, they're talking about Magi stuff. Yeah, that basically the first time we've mentioned the Magi computer uh, on on this podcast before, and it's been mentioned on the show before. But this is the first time that they say that actually at this point in in the country and in the world and where, where they're at with it or whatever, that like the rebuilt Tokyo uh, is actually governed by. And I, I mentioned that computer. when we first mentioned them, like, oh, I think there's some sort of, you know, it does, you know, political things or like handles that side of things. But this was the confirmation of that, of like the commu- the computers don't just make decisions for nerve and, and tally the probability of success for these operations, mm-hmm. but it actually does help. It almost like the governing though, of the city. Almost as though the city was run by like a three person, like city council right. that votes. And so like we talked about before, the whole notion of the three supercomputers is that like they each run probabilities different and then based on the comparison of the three results, choose an option and the three and outcome. Computers- and that's apparently how the entire the entire city on every level is run on that, and that's going to mm-hmm. come into play here momentarily when we see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, no, I just, I just love this episode. I love oh, wait, wait, the comedy of it. Yeah, go more, ahead. More Star Trek episodes. So, so, then, <laughs> so then it also it also becomes a bottle episode for... Some characters, which some is characters. which is a which I, I you know we should look up the the origins of the bottle episode concept. Uh, I don't know when in TV it's that old became as a tale thing. as old as time. I would think so, but it, yeah, I wonder like where it sort of became just like the prominent. clip show. But it's definitely like you know there's a lot of those there's Star Trek things where like you know these people are on a mission and then they're stuck in a you know thing somewhere. Yes, while the that's other what stuff I love about happening. it. I love the and, ensemble of you know the, this is the one that emphasizes the ensemble more than any of the others have because. Everybody is affected by the conceit of the thing, you know, the conceit of the thing. Well, the power goes out in yep. in Nerve headquarters in Tokyo Three, and how does that affect all aspects? So we get way more. Everybody's sort of dealing with something at the same time in these very different ways. And how does how do the pilots, you know, how does that affect them? They're trying to get to the Avis. Yeah. How does it affect Ritsuko and, and Futsuki and Gendo as they're trying to run things? You know, Misato and Kaji stuck in the elevator yeah yeah so it's like so so some people are inside the facility some people are outside the facility the power goes out in the whole place and you know that's exactly the thing so we have we have uh, our three kids are going to try and get in uh, they're going to try and get out of the uh, Masato and, and Kaji are going to try and get out of the well, elevator well it's a great start to them too because like Kaji's running to the elevator and yeah. Masato just like closes hits the button to close the doors does not want him to get in there mm-hmm. he just makes it and then as soon as they're in there together the power goes out and they're, then they're trapped which you know they've gotten up to some stuff in the elevators before yeah yeah oh i actually forgot about that that's sort of funny yeah, um, the so, elevator is there that's their rendezvous spot so i'm trying to think of how to how to what all we need to talk about without just recounting it in detail because there's so many bits and plot things and, well everybody's you know, got their 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 mission which we sort of talked about and there's another great hilarious cut when they're you know <laughs> when they're they're lighting candles inside the nerve headquarters and futsky says 
you know, God, now would be a terrible time for an angel to show up. And then, and then you cut to some guys that we haven't seen. Yeah, the the self-defense force guys. Are yeah, the, uh, from I think not since like the first episode. Maybe? Yeah, and it's the same three guys who had that nice uh, profile shot. Yeah, <laughs> which they, they don't do the profile shot again, but they do the ashtray shot, which I think is is a reused or like a, a, a repurposed composition. And they're they're reacting to okay, the unidentified object. Uh, the eighth angels just showed up, and he gets a fucking really cool. I love the way that the sort of tiered reveal of this angel from when you just see the legs sticking out of mm-hmm. the water and the sound of it like <laughs> coming ashore. And then you continue to only see its legs until you get this excellent scene of Asuka throwing the door open and this weird eyeball. It's like a, he, I mean, it looks legs. like a, yeah, it looks like a granddaddy long legs thing with like weird, uh, like hieroglyphic. Occult, yeah. Like paintings on the, the, the head of it, you know, that, that are eyes. Um, and the bottom eye can weep gooey orange tears of acid. Yeah. Should we, I mean, do you want to, should we, do you want to go to the book and tell us? About, oh yeah. You know, or we don't have to. There's not a whole lot about, but it's, uh, just since we're talking about yeah, it. Yeah. Matariel, um, is his name. I couldn't find a whole lot on this guy. I did find, uh, a dictionary of angels and it lists him as the angel of rain. Oh, well, I mean, but, he does rain yeah, acid rains, shit down weeps the... weeps those acid yeah. tears, uh, acid rain. That's really... Like, he didn't have a Wikipedia page like some of the mm-hmm. other ones. I couldn't find a whole lot of uh, in-depth information about the name, but yeah. I mean, it's a cool. It, it's a cool-looking design, and it's a cool... I like... I like uh, yeah, I should look up some of the angel designers. I know he's doing that early on, because a lot of the different angels... They're not all designed by one person, mm-hmm. you know? So we should sort of maybe at one point look that up and start calling out praising some of the specific designers because sure. the the design is also varied you know and that's and that, yeah I, I i do just respect that uh i think i, I think we referenced like the theoretical Jodorowsky Dune movie, where it's like he was supposed to have like completely different score for all the planets and completely different oh, design for all the things like to make it really feel like a different and so like mm-hmm. i i appreciate that like the angels in this do feel completely different from each other although with some design similarities in certain cases but yeah, it does that, seem like yeah, they're, they're we're gonna related, see some but, weird yeah. eyeballs again <laughs> throughout the show which is funny because it's like I, I could i could totally imagine like an american version of this show or like a, a show like this then where, where you you just you have them more uniform than not because it's annoying well, even, to have we to talk design. about pacific rim a lot too but you know that those all feel you know they all have the glowing blue mouths and stuff like they, there's mm-hmm. just a similarity to it and i you know which is fine and like I they're, they're the, the same species of animal from another place as right. opposed to feeling like a series of alien things completely that, alien. yeah yeah which we haven't but we haven't really talked about pacific rain that much we're not going to talk about it today because it's not relevant anyway to this episode but just flagging that but at some point we probably should talk about we've talked it's it's been referenced but it'd be interesting to actually research uh, right. How how can I like the, the uniformity of the are. Ava design that each yes. of our three Avas and we get Ava Unit Zero with a with a makeover, a brand new yeah. look. Yeah, this is the first. This is, yeah, this is the first episode with all three. Avas. All Avas in action at the same yeah, time. Yeah, all three pilots, all three Avas working together. And yes, now uh, Unit, Unit Zero is uh, Unit Zero is blue. Is blue instead of orange, which and it has I, the shoulder like pauldrons. Do you have a preference? Which it didn't have. Uh, I like the blue. I, like blue. I, I kind of favor the orange just because it's it 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 makes less sense with the other ones. It kind of <laughs> and I kind of like that about it. But the blue is probably better. I don't know. And it's cool that it's got the shoulder things that apparently have like little jets because later it jumps down to mm. the bottom of the pit and like these little jets like halt its arrest its momentum, so it can so, land. So okay, so like so what 
Another but the angels here. Yeah, so the angels there and the the the. They don't know though. See, that's the thing is they don't know at nerve that the angel is coming. So it's up to the, eventually the self defense force guys like gonna send a plane <laughs> to Tokyo Three to warn them. And Makoto is my favorite guy of the three nerve operators. He's you know again <laughs> picking up yeah, Sada's laundry. Yeah. He sees the plane and he's like, oh shit, I gotta warn everybody. So he's got a mission too. And he's so he's the furthest away from anybody because the kids are outside the facility trying to get in. He's like you know down the you know, other side of town sees this thing. Nobody inside is. So he's like, uh, hijacks an election, commandeers truck. a car. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, well, cause it's election. This is what sparked the conversation at, from Futsuki at the beginning about there's like elections going on up at the top of the city. Mm-hmm. And so there's these in Japan, you have these little cars that drive around and it's, you know, uh, there's a woman running the speaker that sort of saying, Oh, vote for so-and-so like, mm-hmm. like it's, it's that kind of a thing. And, uh, Makoto is able to commandeer, that truck and he's screaming on the loudspeaker like there's an angel coming there's an angel coming and i love how the 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 driver is like super into it the driver's like yeah and the woman who's like uh the announcer is like terrified as they're screaming through the streets so you get so you get your cross-cutting between another star trek observation i made that, that it's very much like um anybody who watched tng specifically will know uh, the Jeffries tubes was like a kind it's like it's something of a bit of a cheat in some ways but they just kind of had to have it because there was constantly episodes of Star Trek where the ship would be fucking up or uh-huh. failing the turbo lifts wouldn't work or like there'd be an invading you know force in the ship that they did and so the Jeffries tubes are like this like sort of series of like two like vertical and horizontal like duct things basically with like ladder rungs and stuff to uh-huh. where you could you could go and go around and it doesn't I don't know if it actually really makes sense in Star Trek it's kind of just like a TV tropey thing that you just Oh, you're gonna have to climb or and get there manually, but yeah. that's like a ton of the stuff in this episode because you get Ritzko and the sort of like in tech team <laughs> all like you know going to all try and guys, get the power just back. So on. many good, the, the team of dudes that like pry open the door and they all collapse in a heap. It's a very and then Ritzko and Maya comedy. just like step over them. Mm-hmm. There's is, a lot of a lot of that that type of anime physical comedy in this, like people. Well, the peak of which being when when the kids are doing their diehard thing and yes. they come f- crashing through the vents and uh, Asuka and Shinji just fall on top of each other and then Ray yeah <laughs> like, like lands of, like a little ballerina like like a, like a gymnast pose at the Olympics <laughs> like she said like you know ten point like landing or whatever I, mean, I just love episodes like this that are able to do that by like okay here's the norm and there's like some event that breaks the norm but in doing so we're just really highlighting. Th- the value of what we have of the sort of the regular thing, you know, mm-hmm. we, we really appreciate everybody's roles and interactions, you know, like the, the kids have never been more on point in terms of their personalities. And when the three of them are just trying to solve this problem, like just immediately Asuka's like, okay, we're going to have to get down here, but we should probably pick a leader. Yeah, and I'm yeah, going to be the leader. Yeah. And then later on, you know, Ray, Ray's like fine with that. Doesn't argue, but just continues to take on the role of leader by telling everybody where to go. Yeah. And then even at one point they, there's a disagreement and they turn to Shinji and it's like, well, what do we do? And he's just like, huh, I wonder like he, well, he won't pick a side because mm-hmm. he knows it's easier to just go with Asuka. Cause she's going to get mad at him. No. If, yeah. If so it's, it's, yeah, it's putting all three of them in an interesting balance where like, you know, we see Asuka like, yeah, like try to step out front of everything and like be in charge. But then you also see her kind of relent. And there's a, there's a moment where like, she she sort of like even pulls Shinji aside and is like you know she's man the first child's kind of scary like she she even admits uh-huh. that she's sort of intimidated by Ray's determination and and you know fastidious devotion to you know the work and like you know you get some some of them even talking about like what like Shinji when there there's a the part where they're crawling through ducts and stuff and and it's sort of an aliens slash diehard slash 
Jeffrey's tubes from Star Trek <laughs> kind of thing. And he says something about like why do they why do we fight the angels? <laughs> yeah, the first person that actually to ever bring this up. And why like, are they called? Like, because I remember when you pitched the show to people, it's like, and even my kids, we've talked about before how my kids are watching the show now. It's like, well, why are they fighting angels? I don't understand. Like, contextually, yeah. are <laughs> angels supposed to be good? And she even says, like, well, they're messengers of God. Like, well, maybe we shouldn't be attacking them. And Asuka's just like, I don't know, there are weird things coming and attacking us. Like, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, yeah. Which is, which is the, I mean, it's the only real answer is like, because it, I mean, it, but it's funny that they don't really ask at this point, like, well, who, why are they called angels? Like, you know, it's like, did they didn't, they didn't right. introduce themselves as that. That's somebody had to give them the name, which is a whole other thing that I don't know if that even gets discussed. Right. Really, Starting but. to raise questions. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, we, but we're seeing them, you know, the camaraderie is, is causing them to, to break from, you know, their normal, their expected attitudes. Like I said, Asuka sort of like allowing, you know, Ray to be in charge and, and, you know, then, you know, her but I treating like... Shinji like a comrade, then Shinji just kind of thinking out loud, like being a sort of like, guys, have you ever wondered, like, it's a, there's an easy, it's Shinji it, being it, a doormat. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's traditional, but like, you know, they're, they're definitely, we see them more as kind of friends. In this well, episode, and I like that at nice. the end that for all this and that Asuka does take on a leadership role in the end and she actually nails it. Like yes. there's like, she needs to listen to Ray when it's like trying to find how to get to the, to the central, you know, command post or whatever. But when it's like, okay, we need a plan to take down the angel. You do see Asuka and they even play like the Misato, like here's a plan music mm -hmm. and she's able to lay out. All right, I'm going to do the defense even though that's the most dangerous role, she's going to take that role on herself, in part because she just doesn't want to owe Shinji for pulling her out of the magma in the mm -hmm. previous episode. But like that she'll block the acid so that Rei can get the gun so that she can toss it to Shinji so that Shinji can shoot the angel. And everybody just, you know, especially Rei, is like, okay, like immediately yeah, agrees yeah. and falls in line and it, you can see it all really work. Well, and I'm glad that, she, that it's not just we make fun of Asuka or, oh, what a bitch. Like, you know, that she does actually... She can be a leader in the right context. Well, yeah, it's it's a growth thing where it's I think that like, you know, the the Oscar personality is the personality that you know that says, oh, where's the highest place I can stand? Where's the loudest? <laughs> you know, what's how's the loudest like voice? Oh, you, I can we have? pointed out a lot of the the stance stuff. There's a really great shot of all three oh, of them yeah. standing in front of. So she's got her hands on her hips blocked. with her with her uh, uh, legs kind of like wider than shoulder wide stance. Part. Yeah, hands wide stance on like hips. waiting. And and Ray has like this sort of like one foot kind of like on tiptoe, like curled behind the, you know, sort of like a ballerina her, stance. Her really. arm bent yeah. to hold her other elbow. So, you know, like behind, like a very demure sort of pose. Mm -hmm. I don't remember what Shinji's doing. Okay, that's when he's, that's when he's like struggling. Cowering to open in the, the corner. You no, know, he's struggling to open the manual door. Which <laughs> that's is that, right. is that his job is the man of the group is to be, which is like, almost, I can, you, you can almost guarantee that one of the two roles is probably stronger than him physically, but that like, you know, they, <laughs> you know, they're going to at least, uh, you know, Asuka's not going to waste a chance to sort of make Shinji be a gentleman or something like that, you know, even though it's, you know, kind yeah. of for show uh, and this, stuff. Yeah, this episode just, I mean, it's just a normal kind of episode. Like, it is just another, um, you know, there's nothing crazy or, like, existential going on yet, but it just makes me love all of the characters. Like, really, like, in terms of, I'm trying to think of favorite moments for a lot of the characters, and a lot of them would land in this episode from from each of the kids mm -hmm. to you know Makoto and his little mission to even somebody like Ritsuko. Like when the power goes out, she like looks around and is like, "I didn't do it." Yeah, like there's, yeah. Like there's so many endearing moments for everybody here, oh. and that makes me want to bring up. Oh wait, wait, okay. Let me. Let me I just realized I didn't sure. finish my Oscar thought. It's just like that. It's it's nice to see the evolution of her from instead instead of just assuming that. 
the biggest, loudest, most upfront, head of the line mm-hmm. type of attention. That by the end, she actually realizes that she can be the, she can still win, quote unquote, by taking a not dominant position in the mission. Right. That just that being the one who shoots the gun that kills the angel isn't the only way to be part of the victory. Yes. and that she is she she feels comfortable and is equipped and ready to take on you know the the more damage and the the greater risk to her own life sacrifice yeah yeah. and it's not you know and it's not presented as a you know as noble like you said it's like she still is able to use it in a playful kind of i don't know you should she's like you saved me last time but it's still it looks like growth because because it's you know uh, i think that she is at this point they're they are becoming friends and there is more to the dynamic than what it what it appears to the end of the episode really highlights that too but now, please talk about. I, 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 we, talk I laughed loudly <laughs> right before it happened because I remember. I've forgotten. It. I knew you had, and I was happy that I beat you to something. But yes. uh, so you you tell it though. Uh, no, just that <laughs> you have Maya and uh, Ritsko like fanning themselves frantically, like with the air because the air conditioners you know aren't working, so the air is stagnant. So they're all, it's yeah, hot. So they're all standing in the normal like command center kind of thing, but they're all like unbuttoning their top buttons and fanning themselves, and it's you know <sighs> so noticeably hot. hot. And, and like Ma- we, in the elevator, like... you know, there's jokes about Masato taking her clothes off with kaji you know it's like everybody's yeah. reacting to this and then and then uh maya's like well but do the commander like and uh you know um, vice commander vice commander like they, they they're so cool and you get cut to them and you get the standard shot of you know gendo doing his gendo pose Yutsuki's standing behind them and they look cool as ever and then it cuts to a shot of gendo has his feet in a bucket of cold water mm-hmm. and that's how they're staying cool so it's like under the desk where no one can see they're both standing in buckets of cold water and then they have like they like you know like it's lukewarm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they acknowledge it that they like this is this is something they're both they know they're doing but they're not letting on. But to they acknowledge else. it in the way that they acknowledge all the. This is just such a great parody of. It's really just taking the air out of the usual thing. There's a you know I talk about Buffy a lot too, and there's an episode of Buffy called the Zeppo, which is the character Xander is the sidekick character, and they do an episode that's all from his perspective. Oh, yeah, and yeah, other yeah. shit's going on. And there's a moment like when he stumbles upon Buffy and Angel having like a soap opera moment and it's just really awkward and like they're confused that he's there and it's just just making fun of the tropes of the show. And like Mm -hmm. normally you're sort of into it like, oh, these guys are so cool, you know, Gendo and Futsuki and like, you know, Gendo is just going to work and he does this half smile under his hands and "Mm." and I just love that they're using that grammar to (laughs) <laughs> to make this really no, silly I, joke. I, it also reminded me. I think I've mentioned there's a uh, there was a cold open from on Brooklyn Nine Nine where the, where uh, Peralta is trying to like make, take bets with everybody whether or not Captain Holt's wearing pants behind his desk. <laughs> That's it right. reminds me of that. Which yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is just yeah. He it, wasn't right. Wait, the, he the, was, I think he wasn't. It ends up with multiple people behind the desk all not wearing pants. Yeah, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I can't remember exactly how it all worked out, oh. but they, it's like soup spills on them, and they yeah, have to keep taking right. their pants off. That's yeah. right. But yeah, so there's so there's fun stuff here, and then you get this. There's some actually some some pretty good Gendo stuff because then what happens is as the you know he he tells them to go you know that there's and I don't know if this would really work, but that there's a. Uh, some sort of backup diesel generator that they can yeah. technically run the the Avas off of because they they the now Avas also battery packs like that's the things that drop off of them um in, when they're in the thing mm-hmm. not to but I, I had this you know question too of like when's a diesel, diesel yeah. generator is going to operate these it's, it's I think it's a mixed bag because in part and I think a, it's about getting them going and then they have they only have like the five minutes yeah yeah to go and I so. think I think you know like for the most part I mean I'm gonna you know compliment the episode because of all the stuff that I usually talk about with just how much I enjoy 
the attention to detail and the attention to the way things work and how the actual physical limitations uh, and the mechanical limitations of the technology become a part of the plot so regularly in this. And I just really appreciate it. Instead of always having um, like magicking away a problem, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, the power being out is a problem. Like you look at this thing and you're like, well, what the fuck would happen if that? And so like, I do think, you know, like to some degree, I mean, it works. It works well enough. There's a couple of questions. It's like, you know, like how much power would they actually? Oh, whatever, it's fine. But you're basically, it's just to get, to get them launched, and then they have their own battery things, and they have to sort of like break doors down and stuff because all those automatic yeah. it's just it's don't to work. see. I mean, we talked about before how in the in mecha shows, like the launching the mecha animation is sort of like the key animation mm-hmm. that everybody likes. It's fun to have to do that, but they have to do it all manually. So we mm-hmm. get the normal you know uh otaku fetish launch sequence but it's it has to be done with guys like hoisting stuff and this is the gendo stuff you were talking about yeah and it's just really gendo gets in there himself yeah he has the idea and the implication there as people start to comment on it is that because they're all like well we don't have the the pilots aren't here because we're now we're so cross-cutting to Mm -hmm. the sort of jeffrey's tube type shit of them getting there and and he's just like yeah it's fine and so the, the notion is that sort of like Gendo just he's just so certain that the kids are going to come through without even right. you know, having been. He's never going to give them. praise to Shinji, but he knows that Shinji his and faith company, in him is the yes. closest thing he's going to get. And so you get you know like they basically have to like using like you know ro- like pulleys and ropes like lift the entry the entry plug and like get into position. So, so Gendo's like down there with the men. Like it's a very like you know uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think what the hands probably is. still viciously scarred yeah. from opening Ray's entry plug a little yeah, while. Yeah, I guess ago. he's got gloves on, so it's, it's yeah. a thing. But yeah, so there's just it's just cool. It's cool to see a process that we've become familiar with. Yeah. In it, in it, in it. You know, like you said, it's a very anime trope thing, the way the launch thing. But yeah, now we're seeing it sort of broken down piece by piece, and you know, the kids do get there after all, and you know, it's it they all go, and that's where we get the three of them working together. Taken um, down, and they do take down the angels successfully. Yeah, and fairly quickly too. It's yeah. not. It's not a big. This. It's fun about this episode too. Is it's like the actual angel fight is a very is sort of taken care of in like I don't know three minutes or four minutes mm-hmm. or something like that. Like at the end of the episode, it's more just about all the character work and the interactions between everybody and characters that we haven't seen as much of, like the uh, Aoba and Maya and. Makoto like haven't been as big they're they're, they're slowly mm-hmm. getting more noticeable and this is maybe the most present they've this been is the most in the previous episode we got to see them all like doing a little bit of something on a break I guess because like Maya's reading a romance novel uh Makoto's reading a manga and like and snickering to himself guitar, yeah. and Aoba's playing guitar uh with the guitar magazines next to him mm-hmm. so we get just, just he's a little cool bit one. he is the cool but he is he's the one that doesn't have like a like a buddy like Maya's always hanging out with Ritsuko and like yeah. th- you know when when there's mission shit going on it's like she's following Ritsuko's orders like seems to be her like mm-hmm. mentor her sensei yeah and then um or senpai I guess yeah like right. the I was upper class there, yeah. and then uh, Makoto's always like he I think flew Misato in the Jet Alone episode yeah like, he's, he's there her with buddy. her yeah and he was in the Magma Diver episode he's with her um so yeah, he's. He, I think it's just because Aoba's cool and doesn't give a shit. Yeah. I think that he's just—it's just a job to him, man. You <laughs> know. I mean, he's got that get, that hair can't be regulation. No, that long hair. I mean, that's in in you know, long hair universal sign of a cool guy. Yeah, especially no, especially in Japan. Um, so that's like the plot stuff. Uh, you know, we uh, in talking about everybody sort of highlighting what's already there. You know, Misato and and Kaji in the elevator. Is just another really good example of we know their dynamic, but it's just highlighted even when they're when they're trapped in there. Mm-hmm. And so I just love how this 
that this one event of the power going out just just makes everything up that we know about these characters really come to the fore in this very concise and clear way. And it's not this this episode doesn't really advance. It doesn't move move the ball down the court very much. That's a whatever basketball There's, metaphor I'm making. Like in terms of like we're not getting a lot other than that initial thing about how much control the computers actually have over everything there's and how also dependent the, upon the them. why the power goes out because there's true. there's That's like true. several systems it should be impossible for the power to go out they wouldn't just fail so yeah they emphasize repeatedly that this this this, this ultra high tech facility shouldn't be doing this so yeah this is sabotage and it's not about putting the power out it's about watching how they turn the power back on and prioritize their systems so somebody, whether that's the UN or Zayla or some other entity, somebody is wanting to sort of map their, you know, their whole that is, system. Right. That, I forgot about that. And that is, that is actually like, like, because we talk about the different sort of threads of this show and this sort of corporate espionage thread of the show of, mm -hmm. of the idea that they are this, you know, independent uh, organization that works through the government, but that there's other competing organizations and, and uh, people within these, you know, different... Uh, Each with their own agenda. Yeah, and that, that, that is actually a pretty cool thing to be like, like, to, that, that they shut it down, in theory, that this, the saboteur shut it down so that they could see how it comes back online mm -hmm. and actually sort of gain more information about the operational the, like, priorities of Nerve is like, that's actually pretty cool. That's a pretty mm -hmm. cool, like, plot for, you know, that could be for anything. Like, you could have, like, a, you know, just a movie that had something like that. As a, it's just, yeah, it's, it, I, I like mm -hmm. that. So I forgot about that. Thank you. Yeah. So that's pretty much the episode. I just, yeah, I, I, one of my favorites of the more sort of mundane episodes, you know, where the um, the front, I guess we'll say the front half of the show, because mm -hmm. we're getting close to the middle. Here we're we coming up on, this is episode 11, so we're, we're coming up on episode 13, which will be the exact halfway point. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, things are going to start changing. I, I guess the end, I really love the ending of the three pilots just hanging out. Yeah. Again, in terms of things being endearing. Uh, that the three of them are friends just like sort of looking at the stars and philosophizing <laughs> you know mm -hmm. Sh shinji says the, that the stars are pretty without the lights and asuka points out that she it's a little bit scary you know, it looks like there's nobody living here and it makes it feel sort of mm -hmm. empty and then ray gets real philosophical and talks about how man has always been afraid of the dark and chips away at it or carves away at mm -hmm. it with fire from <laughs> the beginning and Which is like some of the deepest Ray's talks ever since she talked about like why she pilots Ava and stuff like that. Like this is mm -hmm. we don't get a ton of these kind of thoughts from her, um, but that's fun. And then I think it's the end with Shinji saying, "But is that why the angels want to attack us then? Mm -hmm. Because of their you know man's hubris or whatever kind of thing?" And it's you know and again they've left with you know they're asking some questions that the show hasn't really dealt with yet, and that you know the audience at this point. Could could and probably will be asking some of those questions because you're watching this. Like, what's yeah. what is actually going on here, and like, what is the sort of what is at stake? Other than obviously, you know, the angels are destructive forces, but why is it is it mindless? Are they just you know are mm -hmm. they like mindless animals that just attack something because it's there? Like, where do they come from? Yeah. Like all these questions yeah, that yeah. we're gonna get some more of that. But I guess um, do you is there stuff? Did you wanted to read or discuss? There's, yeah, like, there's a few other things. Housekeeping to uh, oh yeah, house. That's the term I was looking yeah. for in the previous episode. Was housekeeping yep. at the top of the episode? I just um, hit me this. A couple things. I know I mentioned that there was a an ad campaign with a. There's a lot of Gendo stuff we talk about in this episode. I mentioned there was an ad campaign where he was like shaving, mm -hmm. and I sent you the picture. And it's of amazing. It. 
Um, but it was Shake Razors. I think I said mm. it was Gillette, but it's Shake. Okay, so make um, note of that. Yes. I also learned that it's uh, Anno's Walk is the model for Nausicaa's Giant Warriors. We talked mm. about, you know, Jet Alone and Jet Alone's Walk mm-hmm. and some of the movement things. And is this based on anything? But apparently, according to uh, Mayoko Anno's manga, that his specific gait was used as the model for the Giant Warriors. Which I gotta go I look at that again. Funny. Um, is it sort of a slump shoulder thing? Is that I don't remember the Giant Warriors. I see. I need to watch Nausicaa again. This is coming up a lot, and it's one I've only seen once. And I and I saw it when I was watching a bunch of early Ghibli stuff. So I, I definitely I like that one quite a bit. It's not as exciting as some of the other ones, but I do I do have a lot of a uh, yeah. It's a little bit slower, but. There's it's the one that cool I think stuff. could probably be adapted into a live action movie most easily, honestly. Mm. Of 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 not just of the the uh, Miyazaki movies, but like I mean of of the sort of tentpole anime feature films. I think that one tra- it's it's, it's kind of mm-hmm. just Dune. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of it, but anyway. Uh, I want to talk about Asuka too. Um, Asuka's name we've been talking about her a lot since she showed up, but uh, she is technically American. Apparently, like her mother is German. And her father oh. is American. She's actually supposed to only be a quarter Japanese. Okay, so that actually that actually covers some of what we yes. th- we talked about that. Oh, that I kind of feel I feel good about that. Yes, uh, and her name comes from uh, the name of two different World War II aircraft carriers, which is really? funny because she shows up in an episode with a lot of aircraft carriers. Yeah, that's that is. So funny. there's the Japanese Soryu and the American Langley, and her name is Asuka Langley uh, Soryu. Yeah. All right. So. Some interesting stuff about her, um, and then weird stuff in the manga that's a little bit different about her that maybe I won't. I and how far are you? In, you're, you're you're reading the manga. I'm right on the now. last volume of the manga. How which many volumes are there? There are fourteen, I believe. Okay. And it's been collected now in these like omnibus editions where you get like three volumes a book, mm-hmm. and then the last one just has two volumes in it, and it's it's definitely fascinating i don't want to go off too yeah, much yeah, we'll, on we'll do it, a but, special but it is that, it is really know. interesting that it's the same story but with emphasis in these slightly different areas and especially towards the end there are characters especially a character we have not met yet who mm-hmm. is treated in a very different way that is really fascinating well because it's basically a novelization is the right is it how you would compare it sort of here? similar yeah i mean what's so strange about it is that I when mean, i talked about this before it the manga appeared before the show did now it was all part of the same project it's not like it's based on the manga in any way but which, the first issues of the manga were appearing before the show began which is reminds me of another thing uh 2001 oh the miss it's, oh. it's a misnomer from a lot of people that 2001 uh the movie the stanley kubrick film is based on the novel when in reality oh it, right it was it's co-conceived story but it was kubrick and arthur C. well there was a, there's the sentinel the arthur c clark story that was uh optioned initially uh, if i remember correctly by kubrick along with i think a couple other of his stories to be the basis of the thing but then they they co-conceived of 2001 together mm. and uh, Clark wrote the novel and Kubrick made the movie and initially the goal was that uh, Kubrick was going to get co-credit as the author on the novel but I think Clark's pub- publishers thought that that would confuse people or like not be hard huh. to market as a thing so they released the novel I think came out first written by Arthur C. Clark and then the movie came out but they were actually a currently conceived thing that's funny that that's the same with the uh, mm-hmm. with even going I didn't know yeah well but, what, but what's so strange is that even though it started before the show technically it didn't end until like the first rebuild movie was coming out. So like 2007. Oh, wow. 
So there were long, long gaps in between so that it was able to start and sort of be going concurrently. It wasn't until like volume five was the first one to come out after End of Evangelion had come out. And then it continued on for about half as long, you know, or more than that afterward. So it was, it's just interesting in that it was sort of being written at the same time and then eventually being written afterwards. And so they, at that point, he's more emboldened to kind of start, you know, doing this. And they call it, you know, it's sort of like this separate but equal version of the story where it's mm-hmm. like, well, this is an equally valid canon. It's not like an alternate universe necessarily, but obviously most people are going to consume the anime mm-hmm. first and then go to the manga. So there's some fun surprises. And, and we've, you've mentioned it before, but I've forgotten it. I mean, it is, it's, it's like all the, like, it's sort of like the Lucas film, Lucas arts or like, like thing where it's like, this is all sanctioned in Canon, but it doesn't mean that George Lucas himself is like, right. You know, like it's like, is it, so Anno is like approving of this, but he's, I mean, it is, it's Yoshiyuki Sadamoto's version of the story. Yeah. So he's, it's, and it's interesting because obviously the anime is, Ano sort of interpreting Ano, and the manga gets to be Sadamoto interpreting Ano and putting him his own spin and his own mm-hmm. stuff in there. So you get this really interesting kind of a compromise between the weirdness and and sometimes the meanness of Ano filtered through this different thing that feels a little bit more. Um, normal, like mm-hmm. like uh, like the. The, the storytelling choices feel in some ways more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Palatable? Not palatable. Because um, I don't mean to say that honestly, like, but just conventional, conventional is the word I'm looking for. It's just sort of... But I was, I was sorry, I mean, the palatable for probably some fans of traditional yes. anime stuff that like, that they could, from what you're telling. I don't know. But it doesn't, yeah, it's still, and I don't want to go off on this when I can't, when I'm just try, having to be so vague about mm-hmm. it, but it just, it is a more conventional telling of it in some ways but it does. It's still powerful for all that, and still all the good stuff is in there. So I, you know, I had told you, like, if they were ever to do a live action to, yeah. adaptation, I think the manga would be super helpful and sort of helping to see. This is a really good example of how to take all the stuff and not lose anything that's essential to what the show is, but also present it in a way that feels a little bit more again. So conventional. you know, that's that's some free advice uh, if anybody <laughs> is actually trying to do this right now or thinking that they would, and you know. Take Luke's advice there. Yeah, did we call out the hand imagery in this episode? By the way, there was nice, nice shot of uh, Shinji's, Shinji's hand, hand. He's doing a little, little uh, as curl. he's as he's working as he, and that's funny too. He works up the nerve to actually call Gendo, mm-hmm. and their phone gets their their call gets that's, cut yeah, off by the power when, going when the out. The power going out happens <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Wait, uh, so did you want to read that Anna thing, or do you? We uh, yeah, I mean, do we have time for me to take yeah, a look I at think this? So we got. I mean, how, at like, uh, yeah, I mean, we're at like. Something like 40 minutes. Sure. I should also call out Schopenhauer as the uh, guy who came up with the Hedgehog's Dilemma fable, okay. that, by that's, the way. I, I asked you that on that episode, yes. and I am too lazy to forgot to do that, but that actually doesn't surprise so me. So Freud used it, uh-huh. um, but I think Schopenhauer actually is the one who originated it. Which I've never read any Schopenhauer, but I... German philosopher. Uh, yeah, it, it, it gets referenced in like... Uh, in Annie Hall or something. I think it's where I mean I know I'm aware of outside of that, but I feel like that's the first first place I remember hearing about Schopenhauer. So that just seemed worth calling yeah. out and correcting for ourselves. But this Anno thing, speaking of the manga, yeah, in, in the d- first editions of it, there's something that I found f- f- by Anno, dated nineteen ninety five in July, July seventeenth, nineteen ninety five. 
so this is before the show came out certainly before the show was done and it was just called what were we trying to make here asked before the start so, of so, the so this is in the ba- this is in the back of the first volume of the manga and you said this so just to be clear this is yes. this was published before the show started right but well pe- we said the show started in october yeah. of 95 um so and this is from july 1995 this is like his like stan lee like letter in the back of a yeah comic basically. and it's kind of long I'd, i i could just, read excerpts but i think it's so interesting that i kind of just want to read the whole thing so this and i think in the collected versions it's probably collected in the big omnibuses somewhere but i have my manga is so old that it's it's flopped i don't know if you guys remember but you know that manga mm-hmm. i assume anybody listening to this show knows that manga you know in japanese it's reversed like you yeah. read from right to left and the books are backwards so it, what they used to do when they'd release manga in the United States is they'd flop it. They'd flip the art over and bind it and make it uh, read like a Western comic. Yeah, which I don't mind. Which is fine, but yeah. yeah they, they stopped doing that because that messes with the art. And But yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah. so this is like back when that was the standard thing to do. But I assume it's still in all the other versions too. But um, yeah. Yeah, um, this is what Ano had to say I about, about the show. And you've never heard it. No, I've not. So the I'm first curious time. what your thoughts are on this. The year 2015. A world where, 15 years before, over half the human population perished. A world that has been miraculously revived. Its economy, the production, circulation, consumption of material goods, so that even the shelves of convenience stores are filled. A world where the people have gotten used to the resurrection, yet still feel the end of the world is destined to come. A world where the number of children, the future leaders of the world, is few. A world where Japan saw the original Tokyo destroyed, discarded and forgotten, and built a new capital in Nagano Prefecture, They constructed a new capital, Tokyo 2, then left it to be a decoy, then constructed another new capital, Tokyo 3, and tried to make it safe from attack. A world where some completely unknown enemy called the Angels comes to ravage the cities. This is roughly the worldview for Neon Genesis Evangelion. This is a worldview drenched in a vision of pessimism, a worldview where the story starts only after any traces of optimism have been removed. And in that world, a 14-year-old boy shrinks from human contact, and he tries to live in a closed world where his behavior dooms him, and he has abandoned the attempt to understand himself. A cowardly young man who feels that his father has abandoned him, and so he has convinced himself that he is a completely unnecessary person, so much so that he cannot even commit suicide. And there is a 29-year-old woman who lives life so lightly as to barely allow the possibility of a human touch. She protects herself by having only surface-level relationships and running away. Both are extremely afraid of being hurt. Both are unsuitable, lacking the positive attitude for what people call heroes of an adventure. But in any case, they are the heroes of this story. They say to live is to change. I started this production with the wish that once the production was complete, the world and the heroes would change. That was my true desire. I tried to include everything of myself in Neon Genesis Evangelion. Myself, a broken man who could do nothing for four years. A man who ran away for four years, who was simply not dead. Then one thought, you can't run away, came to me, and I restarted this production. It is a production where my only thought was to burn my feelings into film. I know my behavior was thoughtless, troublesome, and arrogant, but I tried. I don't know what the result will be. That is because within me, the story is not yet finished. I don't know what will happen to Shinji, Misato, or Rei. I don't know where life will take them, because I don't know where life is taking the staff of the production. I feel that I am being irresponsible, but... But it's only natural that we should synchronize ourselves with the world within the production. I've taken on a risk. It's just an imitation. 
and for now I can only write this explanation, but perhaps our original lies somewhere within there. July 17th, 1995, in a studio, a cloudy, rainy day. Okay, <laughs> first reaction is it's fucking fantastic. Uh, I've never, I mean, there's there's such a there's such a lack, and for you know the twenty years of my life, I've spent fascinated with this <laughs> show. The, like Anno has always been, you know, I joke about him kind of being like the distant father to to his children, us, the fans of this thing. <laughs> in some ways, that we just you know like Gendo to Shinji, like we don't understand his motivations. We feel like we don't get a lot from him, and like it's you know uh, without you know sounding like a complete nerd. It, it, it's really nice to hear from him. You know, it's nice yeah. to have, have heard that and, and to, you know, to confirm a lot of the, the stuff that we've, you know, talked about and some of it's, you know, based on anecdotal information about the, the production and things like that. But to hear him sort of say this up front, like before they're even done to admit that he, you know, that he is finding it, but that the whole thing came from a really intense place. But before I forget, and before we get, this goes off track a little bit, but mm-hmm. I, I think, um, uh, I'm pretty sure I sent it to you and I've certainly tweeted about it, but I'll, I'll do it again. Um, there's a really great uh, Charlie Kaufman uh, speech about screenwriting that he did. It was at the BAFTA, some sort of thing where they had different screenwriters come and do lectures about. Uh-huh. There's like a ma- it's ostensibly a master class thing, but you know Charlie Kaufman, you know, famous for you know uh, adaptation being John Malkovich, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. You know, right. c- considered one of the most creative. You know. Uh, you know, writers in American cinema, uh, you know, of course, when he's going to do a master class on screenwriting, it becomes a <laughs> very, per, you know, personal, inter- you know, like um, he's digging deep, trying to like assess his own things. It's it's the tone of that and you reading it, it, it just reminds me so much of that. Like oh, the way that the way that Kaufman talks about telling a story and what a story is and how much you have to put yourself into it. And, and, and you, you know, if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, you're going to, you know, you're not, mm-hmm. you're going to fail it. It has to be passionate and you, you, you need to be, you know, challenging yourself and not knowing and, and discovering things. And I mean, I'm doing a horrible job of paraphrasing it, but I'll, I'll send it to you after this and I will tweet sure. about it and stuff like that. It's just, it's, a, and I had never thought about that before ever. And it's funny because Kaufman's one of these guys that like had huge, huge, huge success it kind of bit off more than he could chew trying to direct a really, really good movie called Synecdoche, New York, which if you haven't seen it, you should see it. Um, and then it wasn't successful. And then he started trying to take like more commercial jobs for a while. So he's done a couple like young adult adaptations right? that for things that I don't think have gotten made yet, but it did that hit me for the first fucking time that like, well, if you were going much... to have an Evangelion live action American thing, <laughs> Charlie Kaufman is the one that should do it. I mean, maybe I, th- I think, I think the thing with Coffin is I wonder how much he would benefit from like the fact that Ano is an otaku. And so he has a very real joy for a very popular genre of things. So he can, I'm going to make a giant robot show, but I'm going to make a giant robot show that's in a world where all optimism has been stripped away. And it's about these people Mm -hmm. that are struggling to live and blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to put all this stuff of myself in there. And, you know, I feel like I'm being irresponsible and all these things, but it's all hinged upon and that it starts in a place that is this very palatable genre narrative. Whereas like Kaufman, I don't think necessarily like what, you know, if he had a genre that he loved, that was something that was commercial and simple and base that he could put all that stuff into, but he ends up sort of, you know, his stuff is always going to be his stuff, which I love, but it is sort of cannibalizing something that he doesn't necessarily 
isn't coming from a place of love. Like this is a thing that I love and I'm interrogating it to the point where it becomes cannibalistic and that's interesting. He's starting from this place that's a little bit more um, intellectual. Well, this is what, okay, this is the balance is that you would want. I is, So imagining that this is like a, you know, whether it's a limited show, limited series like Amazon show or something like that, or a series of big budget movies, it, it is that it would be Kaufman writing so he's adapting so that he's he's not it's like so so because because the biggest thing that you'd lose and we've always talked about this if somebody were to adapt Evangelion to an American live action thing is you would miss all of the psychological stuff because people would I think that the automatic thing would just be to, to basically make Pacific Rim which right. is not to say Pacific Rim is lacking in emotions but Pacific Rim takes most of these sort of you know the big fun aspects of it and repurposes them and, and has some of that stuff, but you, you, you wouldn't do all of the existential dread and everything like that. Or you would die. Right. You'd die I mean, even something like the drift in Pacific Rim, I think is there's so many possibilities with what you are merging minds with another human being. And mm-hmm. that this is sort of like a, yeah, that's how they power the robots. And we're, we're moving on, you know, does feel like a missed opportunity of like, that's the most interesting part of the universe. And in two movies, they don't really, but that's I mean, again, because that's the, because yeah, the priority existential interrogation isn't, isn't the, the, the playground of this kind of thing. But what I'm, what I'm getting at is if you had a guy like Charlie Kaufman who can write the comedy, can write the, the existential stuff, has the template of what the big action and everything uh-huh. would be, and if you paired him with a director who enjoyed the visuals and the, you know, like the, mm-hmm. all, the, all the fetishy robot stuff and everything like that and could really enjoy that, or you had a, just a director who, had, who was like, you know, like a real artist and would pay, pay attention to the visuals and you had like, a producer that you know could sort of be over time so like this is you're gonna you know you're gonna balk with like crazy this because we've talked about this a million times and we never agree on the things uh-huh. but like if offhand i could go like written by charlie kaufman directed by gaspar noe produced by james cameron i would watch the fuck out of that and it's like somebody to supervise <laughs> and make sure it works somebody to bring like the real artistic integrity to the visuals and how fucked up and crazy it gets and somebody who actually can sift through the narrative and yeah. deliver on all the things i would sure. watch that i mean i would watch any but you know i'd watch anything but i went to i've seen every terminator sequel in the movie theater and i you know went to see the ghost in the shell live action movie i definitely over the idea and i think I think by and large, you know, culture, American culture is too. But the idea that live action movie adaptation is the final form of evolution in any sort of property. Yes. I, no, think, 100%. I think video games have gotten to the point where it's like, well, we're going to make a Last of Us movie. You don't need to because everything that you would do in a movie has already been done in the game. So there's no strengths really that you're adding. You're actually just limiting it. And so, like, you know, even the idea of the live-action Akira, which is, you know, Taika Waititi, fucking great. Like, I would I would love to see what he's going to do with Akira if that actually ever happens. But Supposedly it at is, the finally. same time, it's like we already have an Akira movie. Like, we already have a really lavish and expensive and visually arresting movie adaptation of the manga Akira. Yes. So why do we need to see actors doing it? You know, I just I agree. think comic book you know like sandman and dark tower and you know evangelion there's so many things it's like the, it's evangelion is to me the epitome of what anime as a medium the strengths of it uh you know what it, what it can do so the desire to see it done in live action is 
I don't. Why? I, and I want to be added to yes. And we've we your fans, your 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 friends, you're hearing this is a, an old you know husband and wife argument here that we've had for many 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 years. I don't even know that it. I mean, I my, Listen, I would do it. If I know. Anybody, yeah. I would. I yeah. would. That's the thing. You listed off all the things. You listed off all the things that you wish we could have done that we haven't got to do yet. So you know, ten years from now, this will be you know brought and, back up and as a, a any <laughs> any anime like any any chance to be involved with because that's the thing is you know the dream has been uh you know being a screenwriter sh- sure but like two of my favorite things are like asian martial arts films and japanese animation things that i just by definition cannot participate in yeah. because i am this american yeah. white guy so i can't create these also, things also samurai movies for and me. samurai yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. sure these are things that like I just can't. Do. There's no way to be involved in it. As soon as I become involved in animation, it like kind of ceases to be anime. Yeah, no, exactly. So, but so the opportunity to do to play with any of those toys or be involved or just to have to think about that in a professional level, I would you know, and I'm after any any job <laughs> that gets mm-hmm. us anywhere close to handling any of these properties. So I say all this, but yeah, and I think I I, I guess it just like it's it's. And in that sense, and I want to like, it's more like if 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 we just treated as an inevitability, which it's not, because they've almost they, you know there's been talking things like you know if it's a huge fucking hit on Netflix, then we're gonna hear that conversation get brought back up again. Yeah. Fine, whatever. It's mostly just saying like if they were gonna make it, like what how would it not be really stupid? Um, but on the flip side, like what I do think that like the real answer to to the, the problem that you just you know laid out is that being influenced by these things is is probably better than trying to make them again. I and I will say, as the, the, the ultimate alpha best and nobody will ever argue version of that is the first Matrix movie. Because yes. the first Matrix movie referenced everything that you just, you know, all the stuff that's like the, 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 you know, the John <laughs> Woo movies, yeah, yeah. Ghost in the Shell... You know, like it's it's like there's there's shots and images and moments that I even as a kid we talked about this a bunch like on the podcast already, but that like I was able to recognize some of the anime references very quickly even at that time, and it's like you know, oh, and so it's and we're not there thing. yet in this, but there's a hospital, there's a prominent hospital room in Evangelion that is room three hundred three, mm. and that is the room that Neo is quote unquote killed in in the first Matrix of the apartment. Uh, yeah, and it seems Matrix. almost certainly to be in- intentional. Yes. I mean, is there, yeah, I the number three hundred three and one hundred one appear in the Matrix a lot. So, 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 so the Matrix, and then and then also Pacific Rim. Like it's like Pacific Rim is a good example um, of of a movie that you know we both liked it a, a lot. I don't you know it's like I don't obviously have the same passion for it that I do Evangelion. How could I? But I appreciated the 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 idea that like you know, those filmmakers decided to make an original movie that was inspired, not just by, you know, by a lot of different, you know, things and kaiju movies and and anime, you know, mech stuff and things like that. But that, you know, make an original thing that takes the elements that you feel, the things you love have that the movies that are out don't have. Which is what Evangelion is as well. Like, you know, Evangelion is, you know, Space Battleship Yamato and it is Ultraman and it is American sci-fi novels and it is... Well, you know, w- w- World War II uh, fetishistic stuff. You know, Anna's got a bunch of those models. So it's it's a, you know, as a group of nerds just indulging in their nerd fantasies and you know, mixing ingredients, disparate ingredients that don't necessarily automatically seem to go together. 
so yeah so all this is just you know if if we're imparting any uh and we get way off track here but i think this is an interesting conversation if we're imparting anything here it's that like we as fans obviously everyone loves to play the game of who should make the new remake of this and that and you know it's fun to see michael myers come back as a character and not just you know it's like the the, the different times that these properties get you know uh, reworked and reused that that's all fun but it it, it and so we engage in the sort of baseball card trading, like who would direct it, and who yeah. would whatever. But that at the same time, I think you know we are, we are advocating that you know people should be influenced by things to, in inspired to create their own stuff, and not always assume that legitimacy only comes from a brand name that you recognize. Sure, you know? and that that's not the that's not the not the goal, anyways. Yeah, I mean, I would say that also creativity needs to come from not like i wouldn't want somebody to copy just copy evangelion and do the exact no 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 no, no. you know but that it'd be a mixture of you know what and then there's anime out there there's uh you know um uh magica madoka is sort of like the evangelion it but it's for magical girls so it's like a magical girl show but with sort of like doing the evangelion deconstruction really disturbing take on the wish fulfillment of magical girl stuff and it's fucking great. I mean, the the, yeah, the fights with it. the it's witches that they fight in that, and it looks like Dave McKean illustrations every oh, time wow. they fight witches. It's, it shifts to a different animation style that's like collage and like completely visually unique. It's a fucking fantastic show. I think it's on Netflix. All right. Well, maybe I'll maybe I'll look at that. But so I don't know. Did you um have much? We, that was all because I brought up Charlie Kaufman, and we're going. Yes. We're probably going a little bit long on this, but I don't care because this was a big episode, and and we can you know. I mean, I think, you know, the Ano thing I just wanted to share and call out that I think it was interesting that even at the beginning he was talking about pessimism and he was talking about feeling like he was already losing the thread. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he like hadn't even really gotten off the ground yet. And uh, What's the four-year thing he's talking about? Um, th- there is another show that was going to have the theme of not running away that they had tried trying to remember the name of it. He talks about it in the no tanky memoirs and it never came to be, but uh, it was another show that Gainax had started to outline and was going to get going and, and ended up not. And it sounds here like Anna's blaming himself for that. Yeah, I don't, I, like I don't that. think it's entirely his fault. There was other circumstantial stuff, <laughs> the monetary things. Didn't he else? Didn't he also quit his and her circumstances? I we'll have to look up his and her circumstances. Oh, yeah, it's the first time we've mentioned it on the show, I think. But that was is, that was his next yeah, anime after anime this. Series. And we, I remember we we were watching it when it was very first coming out in the states. Well, there's a lot of Ava jokes and references. In I it as well. I loved it at the time. It's really good. It it does end with stick puppet theater like like no, mm-hmm. no more animation and it's just like literal stick puppets i think in one episode wow. um and i think he might have left but i would i don't want to talk out of school i would mm-hmm. like to sort of do a deeper dive on what exactly happened with it because i've watched the show but i haven't i don't know exactly what happened there but it definitely goes off the rails in a, in a less successful way than evangelion does yeah, the first I remember the first couple episodes, especially where where I thought it's fascinating. Fantastic. Yeah, I'd yeah. like to watch it again. I'd like to watch all of, a lot of the Gynox shows again. Yeah. There's even a Cutie Honey. We haven't mentioned Cutie Honey either. I own that one. You do too. I think, live right? action Cutie Honey movie. But he did it. There's an anime that Ano directed. That's oh, really? A, um, three to six episode uh, anime. I think it might even be the same story as the movie. The movie's fucking great. Yeah, that I'd movie like is to so see fun. That movie again. That is such a that's a that's a great example of a movie that that. You, you know, at one hand, you can tell they didn't have the type of money that you would have to do a movie like that in America. Like it's essentially a superhero movie, and it like they clearly can't spend, but they do a lot of 
same with the way the animation and Evangelion works. There's a lot of creative uh, uh, choices that sort of sidestep it a little bit. And, and it's, a, it's a movie that I really appreciate, the, the creativity <laughs> of his camera choices, direction, it editing. It's, is it's a blast. And there's just, yeah, there's bits from that that I think of all the time. And it's, it's, it's one of the most purely and fully enjoyable singular Anno things, I think. Like, it really is, like, its own, kind of its own thing. And, and, and that it still has Anno flourishes, but, yeah, absolutely. it's it's a lot more fun throughout. Um, Cutie Honey, of course, is a very famous and popular anime and manga mm-hmm. character uh, created by Gona Guy, who did Devil Man. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. It's sort of like, I mean, it's, it's you, you, you know, like it's like a Sailor Moon type of thing. Or something. It's more like a yeah, it's a, it's a magical transforming girl show but uh yeah the live action movie from the 2000s is is ono yeah it's fantastic um, well i mean have we we've, we went long is, there, we, is there anything we needed to talk about that we haven't because we because we can you know wait there's stuff we can talk about in the next episode okay. for sure um because well, i think we've yeah i've <laughs> gone off on some tangents yeah no but uh, you know what, uh, whatever guys i mean you, you you, you can always pause it and pick it up later if you if you look at the episode length and you're like 65 minutes oh my god um and what's our next episode Oh, what is our next episode? Uh, something about a miracle? Yeah, it would be episode 12. Ooh, this, this, is, ep- this is another fun one. Um, yeah, we're really... Uh, we are we're cruising through. through. Oh, yeah, just, I guess, while you were looking for that, I guess, we, slowly finding uh, friends uh, that we were probably going to have on as guests at some point. I can't remember if we mentioned this before, but I think probably we'll have... Uh, you know, sort of guest specific episodes that won't be talking about uh, like an episode of the show, but more like we have somebody on and they sort of discuss their experience with it. And those likely, whenever we do do those, we'll make sure to put a spoiler warning ahead of them because it's probably, I'm going to assume that that those, so if you're listening to this in sequence because you're watching the show for the first time, uh, when we do that, we'll make sure to flag it, you know, pretty hardcore. That so okay, we don't yeah, spoil things. Yeah, um, no, that, but that, that they look, look for that coming soon. Uh, a couple different friends and, you know, hopefully some that aren't just uh, nerdy white guys like us is kind of the goal to get some different perspectives and experiences and how people found this and what it was like for them the first time and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And how does it read if you're not Shinji? Yes. <laughs> but uh, The Value of a Miracle is episode 12. Or my preferred title, which is the American title, she said, don't make others suffer for your personal hatred. Wow. God, the titles are getting so good, guys. The titles are getting crazier and better. What is that sound? That's like a, that's like a Raymond Carver story or something. I'm trying to think what that sounds like to me. That sounds it like probably something. is a quote from something that we'll look yeah. up. I want to talk about the Nerve logo too, but we need to talk. We can talk about yeah. that next time. Okay, thanks, guys. Bye.